This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu to purchase this book. Revolts Against Maturity by R.J. Rushdooney Copyright 1977, Rousus John Rushdooney Narrated by Caleb M. Powers Introduction In calling this work a study of biblical psychology, it should first be stated that the word psychology is not here used in any sense familiar to the academic community. Our concern is totally unrelated to what passes for the science of the mind today, and which actually rests on the religious presuppositions of humanism. Moreover, only in passing have we touched on those presuppositions. The world of humanism, the modern age, is now in its death throes, and we leave it to the dead to bury their dead. Psychology properly is a branch of theology. Theology is the word or doctrine of God. It is the study of what Scripture declares about God, and it is basic to other areas of study, such as ethics, anthropology, psychology, soteriology, eschatology, and so on. Psychology is, literally, the word or doctrine of the soul or mind of man. Anthropology is the word or doctrine of man. Anthropology is more concerned with man's culture, history, and physical life, whereas psychology is more concerned with man's nature and inner life. Two dangerous myths plague psychology. First, and most prevalent in the modern age, is the myth that man has no constant nature. This view of the plastic nature of man means that man can be molded at will by whatever state or agency controls man. The school has, for the humanist, been the great agency whereby man is to be remade at will in order to be prepared for the future. The state plans thus to create through the school a new man for its new order of the ages. As Molnar observed, Education has been the most obvious step in the direction of utopia since, with every new generation, a new potential comes into existence. The utopian does not believe in a permanent human nature. If he did, he could not hope to accomplish a complete break in the long line of generations. Two, he would know that each generation might go through a similar and ever-repeating evolution from childhood with its fantasies to old age with its resignation, creating in the midstream of life something new which, nevertheless, resembles something old. Yet unless human nature is permanent, we cannot speak of civilization, of the lessons of the past, or of mind communicating across the ages. Basic to Greek utopianism was the belief that the mind of man is a clean slate for the educated to work on. When Aquinas revived this belief, holding that the intellect is like a tablet on which nothing is written, and that the origin of knowledge is from the senses, he laid the groundwork of the Renaissance and its utopianism. John Locke then developed this idea into a psychology, and he saw the mind as white paper, void of all characters, without any ideas, deriving its materials of reason and knowledge from experience, in that all our knowledge is founded, and from that it ultimately derives itself. The foundation was thus laid for modern education and statism. Man's mind can be formed by the educator in terms of a new image of man. Man has existence, but, in the beginning, no essence. Sartre's existentialism was thus implicit in the Hellenic and humanistic view that man does not have a formed and necessary nature. In the biblical view, man is created in the image of God, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, and with dominion. This fact about man, his creation in the image of God, cannot be nullified. 
He always has been and always will be a creature of God. The image can be fallen or perverted, but it cannot be replaced or erased. It is permanent and inescapable in man. This is why hell is a possibility for man. For man to deny his nature and to seek a nature apart from or in defiance of God is to sentence himself to so radical a frustration and perdition that his life is turned into a denial of both existence and essence. In speaking of the permanent in man, we must thus avoid the second myth about the nature of man, namely that which sees him only in terms of the fall. The fall of man is an historical, not an absolute reality. Man's history has seen a fourfold condition. First, the state of innocence before the fall. Second, the state of depravity after the fall. Third, the state of grace with and after redemption. And fourth, the state of glory in heaven and then in the new creation. The state of glory and the state of reprobation will be permanent, but in an historical sense, whereas the permanence of the image of God in man is ontological. Our concern in this study is in part ontological and in part historical. We are concerned with the implications of the image of God in man, as well as of the historical fourfold estate of man for psychology. This means, therefore, that our concerns in psychology have little or nothing to do with the concerns of humanistic psychology or of pastoral psychologies which are grounded thereon. For necessary and practical reasons, our concern is mainly with the state of depravity and the state of grace. As the title makes clear, it is a discussion of man's revolt against maturity against the requirements of his existence and essence. To deny man's essence, as declared by God in his creative act and in his word, is finally to deny man's existence. Not surprisingly, the death of God's school, which denies man's essence, is implicitly also the death of man's school, a fact which the existentialist André Malraux has conceded. Man's revolt against the maturity God requires of him is thus ultimately a revolt against life. The function of a biblical psychology of man is to point man to life under God by defining his existence and essence as God has declared it. To do this as simply, plainly, and clearly as possible has been our purpose in this study. Rouses John Rushdoony.